Hi, this is Lori. And this is Rachel. Welcome to Tales, Tales from, from the Rock Side. Hey guys, it's Rachel. And Lori. And we have theme music now. It's by Billy Zen. It's called Don't I Know You. Thank you, Billy. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, there is a pizza on your way, bud. Okay. Uh, <laughs> today I want to talk about a producer, musician, songwriter, and an all-around piece of shit, Phil Spector. Yeah. I got to stop looking over at Rachel because it makes things weird on the sound. Sorry about that. It's because I'm too beautiful. It is. Uh, he's currently serving 19 years in a Stockton, California prison for the second degree murder of Lana Clark Clarkson in 2008, 2003. Sorry. He only got 19 years? Only 19 years. Yee. Yeah. We're not going to talk too much about the murder because this isn't a true crime podcast, but, uh, if you want that though. Yeah. Hollywood crime scene, red handed and crime culture have also have all done episodes on it. I'll touch a little bit on the details at the end of this. Yeah, these are all ones we like and listen to, too. So if you yes. have some podcast, podcast recommendations, those are all great. Definitely Hollywood Crime Scene. I it's doubt. great. I really it's great. Like, I really Rachel like and Desi are wonderful. Yes. And uh, share a name with one of them. I love. They do. They I do. Love, I love having a name twin. All right, here we go. Oh, boy. Phil Spector was born December 26th, 1939. He's best known for developing a production style called the Wall of Sound. Mm, hence the title of this episode. Yes, which he described as a Wagnerian approach to rock and roll. Um, by the way, as always, we have a playlist on uh, Spotify. Mm -hmm. uh, our name is Tales from the Rock Side, so please subscribe and you can get all of the corresponding playlists. Yep, you get all the music we're probably going to chat about, you know, you get some, uh, some, I don't, there's a word I'm looking for, but I can't find it, so just ignore me. Ambiance. That's the word. Some ambiance for the good, podcast. I was going to say, um, some context. There you go. Yeah. That works too. Mm -hmm. Okay, as a teen, Phil formed a group called the Teddy Bears with three of his friends from high school. I mean, that's a cute name. He's a terrible person, but that's a cute name. It is a cute name. Uh, around this time, record producer Stan Ross, who co-owned Gold Star Studios in Hollywood, began to teach Phil record production, and he was a really good influence on Phil's production style. Ah, his production style. Nothing else. The Teddy Bears recorded a song Phil had recorded, had written, inspired by the epitaph on his father's tombstone. Oh. The epitaph said, to know him was to love him. Oh, okay. So Phil wrote, to know him is to love him. Oh, I mean... It's, see, we're already struggling, huh? <laughs> it reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100 singles chart in December 1st, 1958. Sold over a million copies, but their next few releases barely cracked the top 100, mm. and so the group disbanded in 1959. Uh, only one year. Phil pretty quickly moved from performing to producing and some songwriting. Mm. And while recording the Teddy Bears album, he had met Lester Sill who was a former promotion man who had worked with Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller. Okay. In 1960, Sill had arranged for Spectre to work as an apprentice to Lieber and Stoller in New York. Phil learned, quickly learned how to, to use a studio, how, you know, how to basically run things in a studio. Um, he co-wrote the Benny King top 10 hit Spanish Harlem. Oh, okay. And he did some work as a ses session musician. 
And he did some production work for Laverne Baker, Ruth Brown, and others. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And one of the songs he produced at this time was a big hit for Curtis Lee called Pretty Little Angel Eyes. Which made it to number seven, and it's a pretty classic doo-wop song. It's on yeah. the pl on the playlist. It's a good song. I definitely, it's one of those ones you like hear out somewhere. You know, yeah, yeah. You hear it at the grocery store. Yeah, or, you know, it's definitely a, a classic. Yeah. In late '61, film form Phil formed a new record company with Lester Sill called Phil S Records, combining their names. He found a girl group called the Crystals for the company. You know, they really could have spelled it less weird than they did. Phil Less. Phil Less. And yeah, I'm never sure how to pronounce it, whether Phyllis. you say Phillies. It makes me want to Phils? just say, I want to just say Phyllis. Like the, Phyllis? Like a, like a name. Yeah, it's a strange. I don't like that. Yeah, I'm, I've never known exactly how to pronounce All right. it. Now he's on my bad side. I say Phil Less. He's on my bad side again. Okay. Because they spelled that really stupid. <laughs> There, there'll be other things no, that are far worse coming up. He was, already on, my, he was up. already on my bad side. I'm just kidding. Um, so he formed, he found the girl group, the Crystals, and their first release was "There's No Other Like My Baby," and it was a pretty big success. It hit number twenty. Mm. Their next song is called "Uptown," which made it to number thirteen, and that's really starting into the real atmospheric wall of right. sound orchestration. It's a really, really great song. He was doing some freelance work at this time, too. He had produced a song called for Gene Pitney called Every Breath I Take, which is a strange song. It's on there, too. Um, is it anything like Every Breath You Take? No, it's not. Okay. But Gene Pitney has a, a unique way with a song. He really kind of... I don't uh, like the way you said it's, unique. It's, it's cool. It's really cool. Oh, he's okay. He's okay. got... He kind of goes into these real high oh, okay. notes. So and, it's not about stalking people? Yeah. No. Okay. No. Are we sure? I don't think so. <laughs> um, but while he was working with Gene Pitney, he had heard an advanced version of a song that was written by him called He's a Rebel. Okay. And this song was going to be released by uh, an artist named Vicki Carr. Good name. But Phil heard the song, knew it was going to be a hit, so he rushed into Gold Star Studios, mm. and he wanted to record a version of it and get it out on the charts before the Vicky Carr version, thus stealing her thunder. Yeah, nice. Yeah. He wanted to use the crystals for it, but the crystals were off touring at the time. How dare they? So he used a local band called The Blossoms that was uh, had the lead singer of Darlene Love and recorded this version. Um, Finding Darlene was a real stroke of luck for Phil because she's just a powerhouse singer. She's got a she's got a real subtlety to her vocals. She could be singing songs that appeal to teens and also to adults. She's yeah. just a fabulous, fabulous singer. So yeah, one of the best ever. One of those things where you know you pick someone up randomly and you go, oh, sweet. Yeah, yeah. He got very lucky. She either sang lead or backup on most of the songs that he produced in the sixties. He's a Rebel was released on Phyllis. It was attributed to the Crystals, and it went to number one on the charts. Nice. By the time well. that he, yeah, by the time He's a Rebel went to number one, Lester Sill was out of the company. Phil kind of, you Pushed know, him shoved out. him out, yeah. and so he had the record label all to himself. Well, you got to get that coin. It yeah, I guess. I I think I it's it just be. Phil is always was always a control freak and mm. couldn't stand sharing control with anybody else. So he engineered it so that he was yeah. only the the only person in control. You know, for a control freak, we can talk about the elephant in the room, right? His hair. Control freak? Sorry. I'm just thinking about his court courtroom appearances. Yeah, that's much later though. He's I, like he's he's like twenty three or twenty four at this point. Really? He's very young. Oh god, I haven't done anything. 
Yes. He's very, he was very successful, very young. Yeah, that's, okay. Did his hair look like that still, or? No, no. All right, just I curious. believe he just had, not great hair, but, you know, like normal. normal. I'm just thinking for normal a hair. control freak, you're going to go for the stuck your finger in a socket look? I think that was part of it. I think he's controlling. I think I think that part of that was uh, l- let's make them talk about my crazy hair and not the fact that I killed somebody. I mean, listen, I can I can compartmentalize. It's a strategy. I can, I can think about both, and both are horrific. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> for for some reason, Phil decided to follow up. He's a rebel. He's a rebel with the song called "He Hit Me" and it felt like a kiss. Ooh. That he had, oh. he'd written it with Jerry Goffin and Carol King. Carol, come on. Yeah, apparently um, he, their babysitter was Little Eva, who they used to record um, Locomotion. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, her, she had a boyfriend that was abusing her, and they asked her about it one time. The Goffins did. And she mentioned something about, I know that he loves me because he hits me. Yeah, real problematic. So they yeah. decided to write this song. Guys. This was not a great song. <laughs> Guys. Maybe just, maybe don't? Yeah. Um, I think this was the actual Crystals that recorded this song instead oh, okay. of Darlene Love. Um, most of the Crystals recordings from then on were either done by them or if they were touring, Darlene Love sang on a lot of the quote-unquote crystals songs she was like a like a voluntary crystal a yeah i mean phil would just he would he would have darlene in the studio and he would record something and i think a lot of times she didn't even know Mm. what name that was going to be released under um he created an act called bobby socks and the blue jeans cute name Mm -hmm. which had darlene love fanita james and bobby sheen in it Mm -hmm. they had some hits with uh zippity doodah not the same one? No, the same one. The, the one, same fr- one? The one from the Song of the oh. South. Mm-hmm. Um, a very slow, kind of marchy version of it. I'm not real a big fan of that. But they also did... Yeah, I mean, the original one is, is so... It's a weird song. Yeah. 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 And so they also did uh, Why Do Lovers Break Each Other's Hearts, which is a great, great song. I mean, at least they didn't call it Why Do Lovers Break Each Other's Faces. Too yeah, soon? That would be weird. Too soon? A little bit. Sorry. A little bit. And Not Too Young to Get Married. Which is another problematic title, to be quite honest with you. You know, it's reminiscent of uh, Aaliyah's age is just a number. Yeah. Or Not that, great. Like, like when you see little kids do dances to that, going to the chapel and where. Yeah. Yeah. When you see like little kids doing that dance and you're like, I, this child. Oh, you mean like a, like a, like, yeah. a, uh, like a dance competition. A dance competition. Whatever, yeah. You know? Yeah. There's a lot of questionable things happen I at dance competitions i don't want you to put small children in wedding dresses yeah no me okay. neither um phil also would release solo material by darlene love like stumble and fall and today i met the boy i'm gonna marry um which is she's got a great great vocal on that one mm-hmm. um so i like i said i don't think that she always knew when she was in the studio what's whether it was going to be a solo song mm. whether it was going to be a crystal song whether it was going to be a bobby socks and the blue jeans song but Darlene has said that Phil pretty much tightly controlled how she would sing the first couple of verses, but then he would let her improvise towards the end of it. So it's really fun to hear how she's really going to town on the on the oh, melody okay. line so towards like the end the of the song. That she wanted to do basically. Yeah, exactly. And, you know. and by now he's 
fully in the wall of sound style of production. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to really briefly describe it in real general terms. Um, I'm not a studio rat, so I don't really know too much about what I'm talking about. Studio rat. I love that. <laughs> I love that term. You like I don't, that term? I don't think I've ever heard that before. Yeah. Nope, not me, as you can probably tell from the quality of the podcast. Hey, but <laughs> none of us are sound engineers. Nope, we're not. Uh, Phil favored having really large ensembles with multiple instruments playing the same part to give it a fuller sound. Mm -hmm. So he would have like an acoustic piano and an electric piano and a harpsichord, and they'd all be playing the exact same part. So as you're listening to it, you're like, I don't really know what is playing yeah. that. It's a... Uh, you can't recognize the instrument. The, you can't recognize the instrument. Um, he really liked Gold Star Studios in Hollywood because uh, from what I've heard, it was a pretty small studio and he would like everybody would have because this is in the days of like four track, you tended to have like everybody's recording at the same time um, other than the vocals. And so he would and they would separate out by like little wall dividers inside the studio room who's sitting where i'm thinking of that scene from um wow my brain just shut off i'm so sorry from dream girls when they're recording in the studio and they have like a yeah yeah like yeah. dividers dividers sure. that's i'm just picturing that in my head okay yeah. yeah that's a good that's a good uh idea yeah 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 um, but he would, um, he'd have the studio packed with musicians and then he would open the mics all the way up so that there would, the sound would bleed from one mic into the other. Mm. Um, he also liked the echo chamber that was at Gold Star Studios. He liked to have a lot of echo. So he liked to have a real haunting sound to it, a real echoey sound. He wanted to like blast your ears. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And he really hated stereo recording. Because with stereo, like if you have if something's recorded in stereo, that means all of the sounds are separated, the drums and the bass and the guitars. And at home, you can get on your home stereo and you can like kind of sound mix it yourself. And Phil hated that because he's a control freak. Okay. So he really preferred mono so that you had to listen to the sounds exactly like he wanted yeah. you to. And I'm not saying he didn't have a great ear because he definitely did. These songs are amazing. But his ear is the only good part of it. <laughs> but yeah, it is that, that control issue. Okay, at this time, um, Sonny Bono was working for Phil. Sonny! He was kind of a promo man and a gopher. Oh, and I thought that said... <sighs> Not, was, a, not a golfer. I thought it said golfer. Yeah. I should no stop reading. trying to read Yes, here. you should. Sorry. And um, Sonny's teenage girlfriend, Cher, who was a hey. good 10 years younger than him, I think. I'll verify that when we get to a Cher episode. I know that woman. Uh, she sang backup on some of the Ronettes and the Righteous Brothers recordings. I did not know that. Yeah. Just a little fun fact thrown in there. Yeah. She was a voluntary Ronette. Yep. In 1963, Phil met Ronnie Bennett, Estelle Bennett, and Nedra Talley, who are better known as the Ronettes. Yep. Um, the Ronettes were basically Ronnie and her sister Estelle and her cousin Nedra. And they had been uh, trying to break into the music business. They'd been doing some go-go dancing at the Peppermint Lounge. Awesome. And Ronnie's, like, her idea for them to break it into the business was to uh, really be as outrageous looking and get as much attention as they could. So they I mean, always did everything to the extreme. That's like, that sounds 
how I want to live my life. Yes. Yeah. So like if, you, if everybody's wearing a beehive hairdo, they're going to have the tallest beehive hairdo. If everybody's wearing mini skirts, they're going to have the shortest ones. If everyone's wearing a heavy eyeliner, they will have the heaviest eyeliner. Right. So they looked like just like like when you see people do like their like outrageous 60s costumes that's kind yeah, of what they yeah yeah that you like. think of the ronettes look and these girls were gorgeous absolutely look them up because they they were just amazing yeah um phil really fell in love with her look and with ronnie's voice because she had a real both sexy and an innocent kind of quality kind mm -hmm. of a kittenish quality to her voice i don't find my cat sexy kittenish and cats themselves are two different things I don't find my kitten sexy. Whatever. <laughs> um, in August 63, he released Be My Baby by the Ronettes that went to number two. Yep, that's a great song. And Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys has later said that it is the greatest pop song ever made. I, he said that he listens to it like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. He wakes up in the morning. Over and over. And you just instantly. Yes. That's yes. crazy. He was I mean, very, very influenced by it. That's, I mean him i guess mm -hmm. phil decided to make a fully realized lp putting a, the same amount of effort into the lp that he did into just 45s he wanted to use all of the acts in make a christmas album oh, for 1963 so he made an album called a christmas gift for you from the phyllis records phillies records and it unfortunately arrived in the stores on November 22nd, 1963, the day after the assassination of President Kennedy. Tough luck. Yeah. People weren't really wanting to buy Christmas the, music at that point. The Christmas point. mood. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, you know, it's a... Uh... He's celebrating after that, I would see. It was would tough. Be a little, a it was tough. Rough. It was a relative failure at the time for obvious reasons. Um, well, yeah. But it's has gone on to be a classic. Um, Baby, Please Come Home was the highlight of the album. Uh, I didn't put any of it on the playlist because the entire album's great. You should go listen to it. Yeah, you should have a, it in your collection. It's a, it's a Christmas classic. It's a classic. you got to listen to it every year. You know. Absolutely. It's, it's definitely a... Uh, a, a staple yes absolutely uh rather um other hits by the ronettes included baby i love you um the absolutely sublime walking in the rain do i love you and uh, one of my favorites the best part of breaking up it's yeah a great song i heard i heard that one quite a bit mm -hmm. interestingly most of the songs uh, most of the lyrics of the ronette songs are in the first person unlike the earlier songs so before he was the, all the lyrics were like he's a rebel or you know she did that mm -hmm. and then the when he got to the ronettes he was having ronnie sing baby i love you yeah be my baby um do i love you because you know ronnie said that she thinks he was having her subliminally sending those messages to him yeah that's manipulative yeah, but I mean, also, I think I mean, I mean, they were legitimately falling in love, yeah, too. Yeah, and, and the tonal shift and things like that, you know. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> On September 28, 1963, the Ronettes appeared at the Cow Palace near San Francisco, and also on the bill were the Righteous Brothers. Hey, I know them, too. Mm -hmm. Phil was so impressed with them that he signed them to Phyllis. In early 65, he released uh, You've Lost That Love and Feelin'. Oh. And it became mm -hmm. the label's second number one single. 
And then he also released Unchained Melody and Ebb Tide, which also reached into the top 10. I love Unchained Melody. Yes. Yeah, it's such a it's such a classic. It's on my playlist, just my like regular if I'm listening to music playlist. It's so good. Yeah. 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 The, the, these were wonderful, wonderful songs. Yeah, I really enjoy. I really enjoy uh, this era mm-hmm. of rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Um, but Phil was kind of starting to lose his interest in the music business as a whole. Well, he had other interests coming in. Yeah. Murder. Oh, that's uh, a, like I know. 40 years later. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, he'd lost interest in producing the Righteous Brothers, and he sold their contract and all their master recordings to Verve Records. Uh, his final signing to Phyllis was the husband and wife team of Ike and Tina Turner in 1966. Another yeah. episode. Uh, Phil <laughs> Phil considered their recording of River Deep Mountain High his best work, but it failed to go any higher than number eighty eight in the United States. Although it was a hit in Great Britain, uh, the single actually featured Tina, but not Ike. And the story is that he kicked Ike out of the studio because you know two control freaks can't work together. No, that's too much control for one room. Yeah, um, it reached number three in Britain, but Phil was really losing enthusiasm for running a record label and being in the record industry. He was kind of becoming a recluse. I didn't know that uh, it wasn't that big of a hit over here. It it wasn't. Uh, it's become a classic yeah, since yeah, then. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. I yeah. just didn't know it wasn't. You know. That's uh, interesting. Yeah. Um, he married Ronnie in 1968, but he'd shown some controlling behavior as early as 64. The Ronettes had opened for the Beatles, and Ronnie and John Lennon had started kind of a flirtation well, yeah. a little bit. Um, Phil got upset with this, and he pulled Ronnie from the tour. He never let her tour again, and they would put her cousin Elaine as the substitute when they would send the Ronettes out on tour. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Controlling behavior. Um, After their marriage. So, like, she's just chatting with John Lennon. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Um, After their marriage, Phil forced Ronnie into a retirement. Oh, good. Um, He didn't let her leave their California mansion. He hid her shoes so she couldn't leave. He was, shoes. yeah, he would always wave a gun around and threaten her life. And Yikes. he was always screaming at her. She said that he screamed at her so much that she just stopped talking altogether for a year. Oh, my God. Yeah. And for, like, someone that's a singer, wouldn't that damage your vocal cords? No, probably not damage them. I don't know. Wouldn't that, you know, that would be hard, I think. Yeah, for sure. I'm also I mean, I think living with somebody who's constantly. living with somebody who's screaming at you all the time yeah, yeah, is yeah. the harder thing there. Oh, it's weird since you live with me. But I don't scream at you, do I? No, I was kidding that I scream at you, but I don't. No, just I just don't stop talking. Talk yeah, I just don't stop all talking all the time. Hey. Um she finally got out. Her mom came to visit and just pretty much took her out. Of, of the situation. Good job. In their 1974 divorce settlement, Ronnie forfeited all future recording record earnings because Phil threatened to have a hitman kill her. Oh, nice. She received so, divorce proceedings were real great back in the day, huh? Yeah, yeah. She received twenty five thousand dollars, a used car, and a monthly alimony of two thousand five hundred for five years only. Where, yeah, where, yeah. So, but I got a question. A used car? 
It was just like I, in their I, possessions she prob- or something? Maybe so. Okay. I think she probably was just like, just let me have the car so okay. I can actually get out. I just curiosity on that one. Yeah. Later, after about a 15-year fight, Ronnie and the other Ronettes were awarded $2.6 from Phil on unpaid royalties. Hell so yeah. Good for them. Yes. Take him for all yes. your money. Um, Phil sporadically did some production work in the 70s. He Most notably, he finished Let It Be for the Beatles from just their hours and hours and hours of tape that they had done and, and just didn't want to look at again. Um, and he also yeah. co-produced uh, John Lennon's Plastic Ono Band album and George Harrison's All Things Must Pass. In 19... 19- great albums. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In 1979, he produced the album End of the Century for the Ramones. And after that, pretty much was in full-time retirement. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, then. <laughs> in oh, boy. February 3rd, 2003, actress Lana Clarkson was killed in Spectre's Mansion um, in Alhambra, California. Alhambra. Yeah. Her body was found slumped in a chair with a single gunshot wound to her mouth with yeah. broken teeth scattered over the carpet. Yeah, I do know this story. Unfortunately, or fortunately... Uh, most of what I know about Phil Spector is that he killed someone. Yeah. 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 Um, Spector told Esquire in 2003 that Clarkson's death was an accidental suicide Mm. and that she kissed the gun. That sounds like a euphemism. Yes. Yeah. I I don't get that one. The emergency call from Spector's home made by his driver, Adriano D'Souza, quotes Spector as saying, I think I've killed someone. (laughs) And he added that he saw Spectre come out of the back door of the house with a gun in his hand. You think he killed someone? Spectre remained free on a $1 million bail while awaiting trial, which began on March 19, 2007. Presiding Judge Larry Paul Fiedler allowed the proceedings in Los Angeles Superior Court to be televised. On I have seen clips of this. Yes. On I remember <laughs> when this happened, actually. On September 26, 2007, it was declared a mistrial because of a hung jury. I wish they didn't call it a hung jury. I don't, that's like another, I don't know, just it's gross to me. It just sounds gross. Okay. The retrial. <laughs> I don't know why. Just, <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. I don't so. know. Just... <laughs> the retrial of Spectre for murder for the second degree began on October 20th, 2008, with Judge Fiedler again presiding. But this time they decided not to televise it. Wise move. Do you think? Mm-hmm. The case went to jury on two thousand on March 26, 2009. 19 days later, on April 13th, the jury returned a guilty verdict. He was also found guilty of using a firearm in the commission of a crime, which added four years to the sentence. He was taken into custody on May 29th, 2009. He was sentenced to 19 years to life in the California state prison system. Yeah. Which is where he currently resides yeah. and should reside because yeah, he killed I was somebody. I going to say 19 years, though. That's kind of coming up, though, isn't it? I don't, I can't do math. No. No, when's that going to be? That would be uh, 2029. That's coming up. I mean, it's almost 2020. What? We're closer to that than we are from... Okay. okay. <laughs> I don't know. He's been in there for 10 years. That's fine. I'm just saying he's got... So yeah. he's got 10 years to go. He's halfway through. Yeah. I mean, uh, but it says 19 to life. That's in case he gets parole See, I didn't at that point. See, I didn't hear the life part. Yes. And uh, he had apparently had had a pretty bad car accident sometime in the 70s, which um, 
left him with a fair amount of scarring on his head, which mm. is the why he wore the wigs. Now, the reason why he changed them so dramatically, I do believe, had to do with trying to distract, uh, di- distract uh-huh. divert attention from what he was actually on trial for. Which it was just showboating. Was yeah. 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 Well, like, you, you know, you can criticize somebody's hairstyle and also criticize them for being a murderer. You know what I mean? True. I don't. Those two aren't mutually exclusive to me. True. <laughs> you gave me the stupidest expression. I'm sorry. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> but, like, one of the things that I do want to talk about is, like, I love this music. This mm. I'm a really, really big fan of the whole girl group movement in the early 60s. I really love the sound of these productions. And it's difficult um, to kind of reconcile how do you still support the music and you know the artistry that was created and yet condemn the person that was largely in charge of it yeah i mean it helps that for like the ronettes he's not earning anything well he's probably earning something oh okay but a large chunk is going now to them, which helps a lot. That helps. That makes me feel better. I don't want to finance. Here's the thing: is I don't want to financially support this person. However, this music is so good. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I haven't traced down to see who's actually the rights holder. Yeah. I would imagine that Phil did retain the rights. I have no idea. Um, because of, you know, he is definitely a control freak. Um, Phil was a fairly short man. I don't know if that had anything to do with his control <laughs> tendencies. Um, I don't want to make assumptions. We're not getting into Freudian things right now. <laughs> I, I've known a lot of short men that have not had control issues and are perfectly lovely people. Yeah. I've. But this stereotype does exist for a reason. I've known quite a few short men as well, and I will not comment. Yeah, like I said, the, st- <laughs> the stereotype does exist for a reason. But getting back to what I was saying, um, in this case, it's it's easy to still say, well, I do support definitely Darlene Love, who's amazing, oh, yeah. and and Ronnie Spector, who's still out, you know, playing live music in her seventies. She's incredible. She's a survivor. Yeah, has she uh, changed her last name? No, I think not for reasons. She did remarry. Okay. But obviously, it's hard for an entertainer to change their name when that's the name they're known as. It's like you look at Tina Turner. And if she were to have changed her name, maybe back to Bullock or something, it would have been strange because no one would have known who she is. She should have changed it to something like Petty, like Tina Tanner or something, you know? But still, she wouldn't have been known then. I'm just saying it. She could have changed her name to Tina Ike has a little penis Turner. Does he? I don't know. Probably not. But I'm just saying that would be a petty name. (laughs) I thought you were telling me information I didn't know. (laughs) No, I I honestly have not researched uh, Ike Turner's penis size. What about Phil Spector's penis size? That one I haven't researched either. In fact, I haven't researched anybody's penis size. Not in connection with the podcast. Not yet. We haven't gotten to Tommy Lee. <laughs> no, we, we probably will. When we talk about Tommy Lee, we probably will talk about penis size because it is something that is quite well known about Tommy Lee. Duh. Everybody's seen the video, I mean, right? Yeah, exactly. You can actually see it. Yeah. You could Google it, my Google friend. it. It's real easy to find. Yeah. I'm sure you could 
probably find the actual uh size in inches somewhere oh, out there on the internet i've never googled that i've looked at the, i've seen the video i mean everybody's seen the video yeah who hasn't i mean if you honestly. haven't seen the video you probably shouldn't be listening to this podcast because you might be underage <laughs> <laughs> that's a possibility we're not advocating to go look up the tommy lee and pamela i am tape. if you're uh, of age and you're curious go for I, well it. i wouldn't yeah i definitely don't condemn anybody for looking yeah, it up i feel like do your thing. Yeah. I mean, I might condemn you if you jerk off to it. Okay. We're going a little sorry, too far. Sorry. My bad. <laughs> going a little too far there, Rachel. Sorry. Just a bit. Sorry. We can we can reel it back. So, um... No, I don't have anything to say that's not penis-related. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll get off that topic. So, basically, that's all I have to say about Phil Spector. Um, go listen to the playlist. It's great. I thought... I. I think I really picked out mm-hmm. a good selection of, mm-hmm. of his produ- produ- Pro- productions. productions. <laughs> Sorry. Got a little tongue-tied. Um, and uh, Go listen to the Christmas album. It's listen little, to the Christmas album. It's a little album. early right now, but if you're, if you're feeling holly jolly. Yes, absolutely. Or if you're listening to this in December. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pop that thing on. More than likely, pop that sucker on. More than likely, any store that you're in that's playing Christmas music will play a selection or two from this album. Yeah, because unless it's they're playing all those amazing, really unpleasant um, covers. You know what I mean? Like, you know when people do, uh, like the covers of like Fergie. Like if Fergie does a cover, don't listen to that. True. Don't listen to that. Yeah. In general, don't listen to Fergie. Sorry, Fergie. <laughs> She pissed her pants on stage. I can't say that I... Yeah, she's also not very good. But, you know, personal opinion. Personal <laughs> oh! opinion time. <laughs> I'm sorry. Is this the Dragging Fergie podcast? Yes, it is. Welcome to Dragging Fergie. Um, <laughs> it's not where we're putting Fergie into drag. Because she's already there. Ooh! Um, anyway. Go off, Mom. <laughs> Go. This is actually a drama channel. This is, surprise. This is a drama channel. <laughs> a celebrity drama podcast yeah sure where we just tell people who we don't like um okay so um before we yeah, I, end I, here i did want to ask rachel how did you sleep last night not i mean not bad are you talking about my dog situation oh yeah you could t- i forgot about that oh, you yeah. t- told him about okay. the dog situation this is strange this is strange it has nothing to do with i was just gonna ask you about anything. if you had any weird dreams because we usually talk about no, that every I, day you but... know i don't i didn't have any weird dreams although i did have a small i sleep i have a tiny dog uh her name is roxy she's a cairn terrier which is the same kind of dog as toto in case anyone's curious um but basically she decided at three o'clock last night that she wanted my pillow rather than she has a pillow on my bed it's yeah. i'm not abusing <laughs> the dog has a pillow and she's like you know she's got a comfortable spot and she's very overweight she's not like uncomfortable um spoiled she's, is what spoiled. She means. she's spoiled she's a little spoiled uh but i so i have a memory foam pillow or a whatever you know and she decided that she wanted the memory foam pillow at like three <laughs> o'clock in the morning and my dog is elderly and uh had to have her teeth removed so she doesn't have teeth so she's like the way i woke up at three o'clock was She's like gumming at the pillow sham, trying to take my pillow from me, and I was like, "What the fuck are you doing?" <laughs> it was very odd. It was really, really weird. Um, 
But no, I didn't have any weird dreams. Did you have any weird dreams? I didn't last night. I did have the other night. I forgot to tell you about. I had a, a like a killer clown dream. It was oh, kind those of a are Pennywise fun. kind of dream. I don't. <laughs> was it Phil Spector? You know, it was Phil Spector. Sorry, I'm trying to. Bring Phil, it was Phil Spector as Pennywise. I did have a weird dream about Phil Spector, but that's another story. <laughs> was it a sex dream? No. Well, God, <laughs> God no. God no. No, he was like Buffalo Bill living in a fucking. Wow. Yeah, but you could like go like visit him. Was this recently? Yeah, this was like three days ago. I totally Amazing. forgot about it until right now. I'm Amazing. sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut off your dream. Continue. No, you're fine. I, I honestly don't remember much about it. I just remember waking up being like, I'm kind of terrified right now because <laughs> I think Pennywise is somewhere lurking He's in the house. He's going to kill you? Yeah. That's horrifying. Yeah. But Wait, was I it shook recent, it off. Was it recent Pennywise? Like or was two it, days ago. Or, well, like I meant, like, was it recent Pennywise or was it Tim Curry? It wasn't that specifically okay. Pennywise. It was more like a Pennywise-like clown. Got it. So it wasn't. I mean, if it was Tim Curry, I'd be like, sweet, Tim Curry's in the house. <laughs> <laughs> Tim I'd Curry in him, the house. I'd go ask him questions <laughs> and talk to him forever and bug him. <laughs> okay, next week we are going to lighten things up a little bit. Well, relatively so. We're, we're going to have... <laughs> relatively lightened. Yeah. There's no murder in there's, this one. No, there isn't. There's just tragic death. Um, Aww, we're, we're going to be talking about Buddy Holly next yes. week. Um, so no, no worrying about whether we can still support his music because he was a lovely person. Yeah, all, all accounts say he was just, just a, a lovely person, a lovely human. So, you know, uh, we'll just chat about Buddy Holly and some, I think we've got some good covers on the playlist. Yeah, I think for, so for too. So it's it's going to be a good one. We're, because he was so influential, um, to other rock artists too in the playlist i've got buddy's songs and then i have a lot of covers that people have done of buddy's songs yes yeah, really fun there's some fun covers in there mm -hmm. there's some fun just buddy holly songs too you know yeah yeah for sure so um until next week's uh, jump up and down in your blue suede shoes rock on